Your word is uh, full of power to save. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, we recognize it is not the words of mere men that can save us or change us or do us any good, but it is your word spoken in the power of your spirit. We pray that you administer your word to us this evening, that we would sit at your feet and hear you speak. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Abraham and his descendants, beginning in Genesis 12 and running through to where we're picking up the story in chapter 37 tonight, is a story marked by ongoing conflict and strife and sin and messed up families. And it's clearly only, this family is only sustained by the grace of God. We see this pattern starting uh, with Abraham. We could go further back and look at Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and and, and their family as well. But we see it picking up in Genesis 12 with with Abraham. And he has two sons. He's got Ishmael, the the older son, his his son by by Hagar, the slave woman. And then he's got his his son Isaac, who's the son of his wife, Sarah. And, And he's the son of promise. And of course, two sons. One is the son of promise. The older Ishmael becomes jealous. And he becomes uh, full of hate and he becomes a threat to uh, the younger son, Isaac. And so he's forced to leave. Separation happens and, uh, uh, and God protects his covenant line of promise, of blessing. And then it happens again. Uh, the next generation, Isaac. Isaac has two sons. This time they're both his by his wife, uh, Rebecca, uh, Esau and Jacob. But again, bitter strife. From even inside the womb, they seem to be fighting with each other. They come out uh, with Jacob grasping at his brother's heel, trying to trip him up and get first place himself. And then their whole life unfolds with the same way. The younger son, Jacob, is God's chosen to be the one who bears the promise line forward and who brings blessing to the world. But Esau is jealous. And Jacob's jealous of Esau's place. And so there is, uh, there is conflict and there is strife. And again, God intervenes, God works, God saves his, his, uh, the, the promised son and, uh, and, uh, and brings Jacob through that trial um, safely by his grace. And it's so vital that God continues to do this because um, with each successive generation here in Genesis, it's the heir to the patriarch that carries the promises forward and that is the one through whom God will bring his plan of salvation forward in history. Um, So now in Genesis 37, we come to Jacob. And he's no longer in question. Esau is not a threat anymore. Uh, We didn't read chapter 36 it gives, us, uh, it gives us Esau's descendants mainly, um, but it tells us that Esau has moved away. God has blessed him with temporal blessings, uh, but Esau has moved away, and now Jacob is, Jacob is where he is without that threat anymore. But now, Jacob's starting to get up there in years. Um, he's still got plenty of life and strength in him, but, but his sons are growing up. And so the question is, who's going to be the heir? Who's going to be the top dog? Uh, Who's who's going to be the patriarch of of the family going forward? Which one is going to rise above the rest and be the one through whom mainly God's promises continue forward? The one who is the the one who brings blessing um, uh, and and grace uh, from God to the world. 
Will the favoritism, which has plagued this family now for several generations, continue, or will they learn the lesson and stop it? Um, Well, as we have seen in the text already, the favoritism continues. The sin and the strife get worse, worse than they've ever been. Uh, The sin and the strife, the jealousy and the violence have risen to an exponential level with with, with Jacob's children and the consequences here are dire for the family. We see a family here in chapter 37 that's just completely falling apart. Brothers attacking to kill their brother and lying to their father that he's been killed and the father broken with grief. Um... And so we see here a, a, a display of the, the effects of jealousy run amok in this family. But we also see the grace of God yet again. Only the grace of God can save a family like this. Only the grace of God can overcome the jealousy that's on display in this chapter. Only the grace of God can sustain God's purposes and his promises. Um, and that is what we'll see tonight. We're going to work through the text under three headings. Number one uh, is, is the roots of jealousy. Uh, jealousy is the, the big sin in the text. So first, the roots of jealousy. We see this in the first 11 verses especially. Um, this, uh, this chapter is all about jealousy threatening to tear a family apart. And there are several circumstances in the text that we see that, that provide a, 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 a fertile ground for the jealousy, shall we say. Um, the first is that in the context here, uh, um, Jacob is living in the gap between promise and fulfillment. So if you look at verse 1, uh, verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, or the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. Um, the, verse 1 is giving us a contrast with the end of chapter 36, which was telling us about Esau. Um, Esau, um, chapter 36 ends talking about Esau's family, and it says this, Now these were the chiefs of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Esau was the father of the Edomites. So you've got Esau's family, chapter 36, possessing their own land. They've settled for a here and now inheritance, moved away from Jacob and the promise. They're living the good life. No longer living in the gap between promise and fulfillment. But Jacob, poor Jacob, is still a stranger like his father before him. He does not possess the land. He is a a guest. He's a pilgrim in the promised land. They've, They've got the promise that this land will one day be theirs, but they're not going to see that with their own eyes. So Jacob's in this gap, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises And life in the gap, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, is hard. You've got to live by faith. Um, Temptations come to doubt, and temptations come to to, uh, uh, to, 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 uh, uh, lose sight of what God holds out to you by faith. And sin continues, and the consequences of sin continue. This is the first warning this text is giving us here tonight. Um, Jacob and his family are in a vulnerable place. It's not wrong. It's where they should be. But they're not being vigilant to guard against temptation. And brothers and sisters, 
Uh, in the same way, we are in the gap, aren't we, uh, between promises given and the promise to be fulfilled. Christ has come, he's fulfilled so much, but there's still so much ahead that's been promised to us in the heavenly inheritance. And, and we need to keep vigilant because temptation is still present and sin is still present and the consequences and the bite of sin uh, is still present. We need to guard against these things. If, if Jacob had maintained a greater spiritual vigilance for himself and his family, surely some of the pain of this chapter would have been avoided. Another piece of the context here, leading up to the jealousy that we see, um, is found in, in Joseph himself. So, going on in, in the chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2 tell us, uh, verse, verse 2 and into verse 3 tells us a bit about, about Joseph. The problem with Joseph is that he is just so good all the time. He's that annoying sibling who is always doing the right thing. Um, he doesn't slack off with his work. He doesn't, I mean, his older brothers are a mess. Some of them are Reuben. He's got scandal in his past. Simeon and Levi, they've massacred a whole city. Um, these guys are, are they, they've got a lot of baggage. But Joseph, jo- Joseph's the, 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 good, the good kid. Um, verse 3 tells us he brings a bad report of his brothers to his father. It's hard to tell from the text if that's, if that's saying that this is a, a negative thing or, you know, he's, he's the annoying tattletale, or if he's just doing what he should do and, and going to say they're not working the way they should. Um, it's, it, the text is not, is not clear to that as far as I can tell. Um, maybe he could have used a little more discretion. The text does say that he's 17, so he's young. Um, but uh, uh, he, the, the, the Genesis as a whole presents Joseph as a, as a, as a, as a model of, of, of righteousness and integrity, a sterling character. And so I think we want to see this in the best light here. But whatever's going on, his righteousness, his goodness, aggravates his brothers. It just rubs salt in the wound for them. Um, as his special status does as well. He gets these dreams. He's dreaming uh, a mark. Not, these aren't just ordinary dreams. These are, these are clearly divinely given dreams, marking him out as chosen by God for some special purpose. The brothers aren't getting dreams from God, but Joseph, Joseph is. And then the content of the dreams is even worse. He's dreaming that, he dreams that his, he's out in the field with his brothers and their stalks of grain are bowing down to his stalk of grain. He dreams next that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. And it's all, right, he, he, he's, again, he could have used perhaps a little more discretion about how he shared these dreams. Um, but uh, it's all pointing to the fact that here's this one who is perhaps being singled out by God for great leadership in this family. Um, but this just aggravates his brother's jealousy. I don't think it's all Joseph's fault that it's aggravating their jealousy. Because we see the same sort of thing with our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? His holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his integrity, his honesty infuriates those who lack those things and who want to have them in themselves. Right? That, that kind of righteousness draws someone who is humble, meek, poor in spirit, not self-righteous, but it, it infuriates someone who is, uh, who is self-righteous. 
And this is what we see going on with his brothers. Their sin looks so much worse because of his goodness. And so they are filled with hatred for him. Now, the third thing here, of course, um, uh, most obviously perhaps, is Jacob. Uh, the way Jacob parented, um, planted the seeds for so much strife in his family. Verses 3 and 4 say this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This is a favoritism with a history. It goes back to who their mothers were. Uh, Of course, Jacob loved Rachel, and then his uncle Laban tricked him and saddled him with Leah first before he could marry Rachel. And so he has now, now that they've had children, whose children is he going to love and dote on and, and single out for favorite? Of course, it's going to be Rachel's. And the firstborn of Rachel is Joseph. And so in Jacob's eyes... Joseph is going to be the heir. Joseph is going to be the one who, who, who takes his place after him. Joseph is going to be the one who's over his brothers. Um, and, and we see this favoritism uh, in, in the coat of many colors. The Hebrew uh, is, is a little confusing there. That's the best guess that's been given. Some translations suggest a coat with long sleeves. Whatever kind of coat this is, it's a mark that this is the one who's the favorite of the father and the one who is heir apparent. And so they are all, all his brothers are jealous. And in a sense, you can understand why. Um, But it goes to show, verse 4 goes to show that sin breeds sin. Sin from one party so often leads to sin from the other party. Um, Favoritism in particular from parents is going to breed jealousy among the children. Um, uh, there, there should be no place for this in a, in a, in a covenant family of the Lord. Um, in, in God's family, there are no second and third-rate children. They're all His children. And, uh, and so it should be in our homes either, uh, as well, that our children are not first or second or third, but all uh, loved with an equal love. Uh, because the Father in heaven has loved us that way. Now, Jacob... Of anyone who knew this, it should have been Jacob, uh, because he was not a great kid. He was not Joseph, sterling, upright character, was he? He's deceitful. He's full of trickery all his life. He he, he lies. He cheats. He steals. Um, but then God continues to love him and show him His grace, and God shows kindness upon kindness to him. And and, and but but he. Jacob understands what God has done and his grace begins to transform him, but it doesn't reach far enough. Um, He keeps on repeating the sin of the previous generation and making it even worse. He treats Leah as a second-rate wife and he treats her children as second-rate children. And it is devastating for them. Brothers and sisters, a very clear and straightforward application from this for us. Just don't have favorites with your children, whether they are young or whether they are old. We pick up Genesis 37. The children are grown, but the favoritism still bites. Um, 
Our parenting needs to be modeled on God's love for us, not on a particular, um, not on how well you connect with each child or or the, what each child deserves, um, but on but on God's love as the model. But anyway, this is the context. So all these things are obviously providing pretty fertile ground for uh, for the jealousy that that uh, these brothers are feeling towards Joseph. Uh, but ultimately, we need to see this. Their jealousy is their own sin and their own fault. The, the reason they are jealous, yes, all these things are aggravating it, but, but um, uh, the, their sin, their jealousy is, is their own fault. Why are they jealous? Because they want to be the favorite. They want to be in the position of prominence and power, privilege. They had their hearts set on an idol, and someone else was getting that instead of them. We read earlier from James chapter 4, and it gives us God's own x-ray of jealousy. And it says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Notice the text there does not say, You do not have and therefore you murder, but you desire, you're jealous, you're coveting, and do not have. And therefore you murder. The the root of the jealousy is their own selfish desires. They should know, these brothers should know, that they are loved by God. They have a place in His family. They, They should know that they have a glorious inheritance promised to them. And that there are no second-rate sons with God. That should satisfy their souls. Even as they're grieved that their father does not love them the way that he should, they should rest in the greater joy of knowing that God loves them as sons. And God has an inheritance for them. That they have this wonderful inheritance in God himself, but they're not content with that. They have an idol in their hearts. They want something else. And so they are, they are jealous. Loved ones, our jealousy, um, the jealousy that, that we all wrestle and struggle against, we can be tempted to think the root of it is outside ourselves. Well, it's because that person has a better whatever, house, car, etc., job, uh, family, fill in the blank. Um, no. No, the root of our jealousy, it might be aggravated by other things, but the root of our jealousy is always in our own hearts first. It's always in our own idolatry. To argue with that, oh, we always want to argue with that, that our sin's not our own fault. But to argue with that is to argue with God and what he says in James 4 and the inspired scriptures, that it, um, our jealousy is a dead giveaway of our idolatry. And so we see the root of jealousy here in the text. Before we get to the solution, though, we're going to see the fruits of Jealousy. That's what we see next. Verses 12 through 35 show us the fruit of all this jealousy that's going on in this family. Joseph's brothers are out pasturing the sheep in Shechem. Joseph, interestingly, he doesn't have to go pasture the sheep in Shechem. Um, he gets the day off or whatever. Um, but his dad says, let's go check, you go check on the brothers. And this is probably a bad idea for, uh, for Jacob but perhaps he's not as tuned in with the family dynamics as he should be. Um, He sends Joseph. Joseph goes. 
He goes out into the wilderness, and there we see the bitter fruit of their long jealousy against him come to fruition. They see him coming. Their first plan is to kill him. Um, not aggravated, not, not, um, not, uh, not a moment of passion here. They see him from a long way off, and with a cold calculation, they premeditate murder against their brother. They are so jealous of him, they want him dead. This rings with so many echoes of Genesis chapter 4, doesn't it? Cain and Abel. Abel's offering accepted. Cain feels uh, jealous of Abel. And he rises up to kill him. This family is the family of promise. The grace of God is at work in this family. But here they are. They look just like the seed of the serpent from Genesis 4. They look like they've descended from Cain. Um, Not Abraham. So, they premeditate murder. Reuben tries to stop it, but it's a, it's a weak attempt at best. Uh, he says, instead of throwing him dead into a pit, let's throw him alive into a pit. And it seems like the brothers are planning to do away with him later, based on Judah's words later on in the story. Um, they, they strip him of the tunic there, which was the mark of his position as favorite and heir apparent, and they throw him into this empty cistern in the desert. And then... It's so interesting, the detail of the text here, isn't it? Then, after they've thrown him into this pit, they sit down and eat a meal. Just the callous indifference that they have towards him is is, is astounding. Um, Not long before, they see these traitors going to Egypt, and Judah has the wonderful idea, let's make a little money off our brother. Now, let's not just kill him, let's get rid of him and get some money in the bargain. They'll never have to see him again. So they sell him into slavery. Um, what does it take to get a family to this point? I mean, my brothers and I, uh, we had our moments, but we were nowhere close to this. What, is, what does it take to get a family to this point? Um, the, the, this, the, this level of jealousy, this level of hatred, this level of bitterness that they're ready to murder their brother in cold blood. And all this happening in the covenant family of God. Um, and, and, and their hard-heartedness, their callousness goes on. I mean, they go back to their father. They tell him what's happened. And he's crying. He's weeping. His life is over. He's never going to stop grieving. And they don't tell him what really happened. Um, it is the fruition of their sin. It's, it's the seed of jealousy which was planted in them long ago. The idolatry of their hearts, and it's grown, and it's grown, and it's grown, and it hasn't been checked, hasn't been stopped, hasn't been challenged, and now it's coming to its fruition. Uh, this is the fruit of the seed of jealousy, unchecked. Now, brothers and sisters, um, the, the drama of the text, the, 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 the level of... Uh, that the jealousy reaches is something that we will probably not see breaking out in our own lives. But the seed of every sin is in every heart. And don't think that being part of God's covenant family gives you automatic immunity to the effects of that sin, the effects of that jealousy. Guard your heart against jealousy. Guard against the smallest twinges of jealousy. Don't wait for it to to get deeply rooted and ingrained and stuck, guard against the the little weeds of jealousy that come up. Um, 
because, because jealousy, uh, however it, it grows and matures in a particular situation, will lead to death. Not the death, that, or not, not the level that we see here, perhaps, but still the death of relationships, separation of friendships. Uh, James 1.15 lays this out so clearly for us. James 1.15, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So don't be jealous over God's providence in someone else's life. Don't be jealous that someone else looks like they had it easier or they had it better or, 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 or uh, that God has given them better gifts than he's given to you. Do not be jealous even when someone else's sinful favoritism would prompt jealousy from you. Don't be jealous. Jealousy will destroy your relationships and it can happen in the household of God. So don't allow it to take root. So this chapter shows us the roots of jealousy in this family and then the fruit of jealousy, the consequences of it. But it's more than just a warning to us against these things. Uh, This chapter is also a reminder of the grace of God. And that's where we turn now in the final point, looking at the grace of God to save the worst of jealous sinners. Um, In the midst of this dark chapter of of sin and jealousy, we see the grace of God still at work. Our our final point is this, from son to slave. From son to slave. And just looking at verse 36, um, uh, verse 36 tells us that uh, Jacob is a slave. He goes down to Egypt as a slave. Um, It is a culmination of, of a whole chain of events in the chapter that are really quite... Um, surprising in a way. Um, it, it seems improbable that this boy from Canaan would end up a slave in Egypt at the beginning of the chapter, his father's favorite, the heir. But, but throughout the chapter, we see these, these funny little events, the, these improbable little events. And, and, and it's clearly the hand of God underneath working and orchestrating to get Joseph to the point where he's a slave in Egypt. The hand of God is, is here. First, notice, um, uh, there's this funny little scene where Joseph goes to Shechem where he thought his brothers would be and they're not there and he's wandering around, not sure where they are. And this random guy is in the field and he sees him. He says, oh yeah, brothers, I overheard. They're in Dothan. Um, why is that there? Well, because, right, it would have been so probable that Joseph goes, his brothers aren't there. He just goes back to dad, back to Jacob. I couldn't find him. Um, but, but we get this little scene to show us that, that there was this chance, random meeting where he just happened to be there and the, the man who had just happened over here where they were going next. And, and so he goes on. He's inevitably moving towards slavery in Egypt. And he goes on to his brothers. And, and um, Reuben saves him just in time, but doesn't quite save him enough. Uh, and then, oh, hey, look, just so happens there's a band of traders going to Egypt of all places just in time, and he's sold to them. God's providence is driving these things. Oh, yes, man's sin is, is, is making a mess of all these things, but God's providence in the midst of that and, and through that is accomplishing his saving purpose. God is orchestrating a glorious salvation even through the sin of his people. 
uh, he, he, he's getting Joseph to Egypt on purpose. God, God is at work here. God, by his divine wisdom, yes, he's given Joseph these dreams of, 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 of being a ruler and being someone who brings blessing to God's people, and he's going to be. But first, God wants to humble him. He wants the Savior to first become a servant, a slave. Um, this is the way God works, through weakness, accomplishing his purpose, to show the glory and the salvation all belongs to him. Uh, and, and one day, this beloved son who was sold into slavery will rise to be ruler in Egypt, and he will be the salvation of his brothers. His brothers are trying to destroy him and kill him. And God is using their attempt to kill him to save them in the future. Do you see how God is working? One day their family, which is being just torn apart by jealousy right now, is going to be healed. Probably wouldn't have happened if Joseph stayed. But the way God is working, their family is going to be reconciled. And, and these brothers will be forgiven and will come to know the grace of God through Joseph, the one they betrayed. This is the way the grace of God works. Now, all of this points us so wonderfully to our Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? That um, we, we're, getting this, we're getting this preview of the main event of Christ in the story of Joseph here. We see the beloved son humbled, hated, betrayed, a servant, a slave. Um, our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved Son of God, comes down, and he's not uh, forced to become a slave, but he willingly becomes a servant for us, and he, um, he, does, not, uh, he, he does not escape death. He is put to death. And, and this, this horrible sin, this great sin of betrayal and treason against him by his own people, by his own brothers, accomplishes salvation, brings eternal life. Through this, through Christ, God brings salvation from the horrible depths of our sin. First of all, he does it through Christ's never-jealous heart. Here comes our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he's perfectly righteous. Never a moment of jealousy in him. His, his whole life, he lives an obedient life where his heart is always grateful and always content and always resting in what God's done for him. Why does our Lord Jesus come and live that life of, of, of heartfelt gratitude and no jealousy? Well, he does it not for himself. He didn't need to do it for himself. He did it so it could be counted yours by faith. And then he goes to the cross. Why? Not for his sins. For your jealousy. For their jealousy. And then he rises from the dead. Give us a new heart. A heart that learns by his power and following after him how not to be jealous anymore. Slowly, we, we learn it slowly, but we do learn it, loved ones, by, by following after him. Um... This is the antidote to jealousy. It's, it's not just resolving to be less jealous, but it, it, it's, it's knowing Christ uh, and, and, and understanding that God has given you all He has to give in Christ. And if your heart's been filled up with a feast of the goodness and grace of God, you're not going to be jealous for lesser trifles. You'll be just overwhelmed with gratitude that God has saved you. You're not jealous at someone else's providence. 
And then also that uh, the, the more you know Christ and follow Christ, you'll learn to love as He loves. Philippians 2 talks about this, doesn't it? Uh, it says, um, count others more significant than yourselves. You know how Christ humbled Himself for you. Um, that th- these things, brothers, are what will free us from jealousy. So praise God for His grace and seek Him for His grace for these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for our Savior. We thank You for how perfect a Savior, how wonderful a Savior our Lord Jesus is. We thank You for the way Your 